We're going to read verses 8 through 11. Exodus 20, you can stand as you grab your Bible and uh, we'll stand together just to honor God's word. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. This is on page 61 if you have one of the black hardcover Bibles. This is part of the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. And as we read, remember, we're reading God's Word. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made, heavens, made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. That's God's word. You may be seated. We're coming up uh, as a church in this next month on a pretty um, momentous day. January 12th of 2014 will mark our fifth anniversary as a church. Uh, five years since we started it, and we're really excited. We're going to have a great time to celebrate that day. We'll have some special things that day, as well as um, a church-wide picnic after church. And so we'll all head over, anyone who wants to, over to uh, Power Ranch Park. We're going to grill out burgers and hot dogs and have a bunch of food and games and photo booths, and it just will be a, a lot of fun. I hope you'll join us. But, but th- that, that sort of mark of that five-year mark has had me reflecting on just all that God has done over these last number of years. And and even sort of reflecting on my mindset and what I was experiencing in, in the years leading up to starting the church. And so um, one thing that in particular kind of stood out to me was I was thinking about all the different training experiences and things that I had gone through in preparing to plant the church. You know, I suppose you could just, anyone who wants to could just go start a church. Um, but we really believed that we needed to be trained, we needed to be assessed by an outside group, we needed to be sent by a team of elders who were sanctioning and sponsoring and approving us. And, and so we kind of went through that whole process. And in the process, I read what feels like countless books and articles and listened to countless uh, trainings and sermons and conference messages, all related to, to starting and leading a church. And, and a lot of that I would kind of share with Molly little bits and pieces along the way. But there was one thing that I always made sure to share with her. Uh, you know, it, it was so much. After a while, she was like, you know, I don't, I don't want to hear everything. Just give me the things you think I really need to hear. And so there was one kind of group of things that I always made sure that she had to hear. And these were the burnout stories. See, I've probably listened to half a dozen messages by pastors who experienced a kind of physical or emotional or spiritual kind of burnout. And I don't mean the, the over-the-cliff Uh, you know, marriage up in flames, affair, financial scandal. I'm not talking about that kind of blow up. But but men who were still qualified in ministry, but just had so pushed themselves in starting and leading a church that they just weren't at the point of exhaustion. I heard one story about a pastor who I really admire who had this moment where he essentially went to bed and woke up about four days later. Just adrenal glands spent Uh, People feeling emotionally fried. And I would just hear those stories and hear these talks. And they would all talk about things you could do to kind of help, you know, not experience that and things like that. And those were the talks I always made sure Molly listened to. Because I was saying, listen, babe, this might be what we're getting into. 
Are you ready for this? And I wanted to make sure she had that. We even went to one uh, church planner and church planner wives training, and the wives track we thought was really funny because it was called Hope and Healing. We're going, what are we getting into? Right? The wives track is Hope and Healing. Does this mean we're signing up for for despair and pain? Like, what, what is this? And, and it felt like that's kind of what we were signing up for. And, and, and I'd heard all those stories and heard all those things, but in these past five years, really for the most part, in, in trying to apply the things I'd learned, I haven't experienced anything like that until this year. This, uh, earlier this year, like kind of May time, I began to experience that sort of emotional burnout. The way I would kind of think about it is like this. I, I would typically, uh, I kind of feel like I typically have pretty thick emotional shock absorbers. You know, like I, I hit bumps and go boom, and I just keep going, keep rolling. Um, I, I think that makes me for the most part a fairly steady leader. But we had a really intense spring and a really intense uh, you know, I, I kind of got out of some of the habits that I'm going to talk about today. And then we got into Good Friday and Easter. And if you were here for those, those were incredible. Uh, that was just an incredible weekend of God working in powerful ways. Adrenaline was sky high. And rather than having that high moment and then coming off of it and resting and managing my energy, well, I didn't. I just used the high moment as kind of a ramp to keep going. And sure enough, a couple weeks later, I got really, really sick. And soon after I got sick, I started making it where I, I couldn't sleep through the night. I would, uh, like an infant, I guess, I would go to bed and then I'd wake up at about one or two in the morning and just couldn't fall back asleep. And that happened every night for almost two months. And by the end of that, my normally thick shock absorbers emotionally were frayed. And uh, I would have these moments where like just a little thing that would normally I wouldn't think about would happen and it was like... <laughs> My just emotions were all over the place. I'd be discouraged. I'd be depressed. I would call Matthew. Matthew had to call, talk me off the ledge a few different times. Um, I remember one time, and I, you know, this is takes some, I guess, courage to admit this, but I remember one time pulling up to the office and, and thinking, if I never came back to this church, I don't think I'd mind. And if you know me at all, you know that that's not me. That's not, that was the first time I'd ever had a thought like that. And I fortunately was sober-minded enough to kind of go, that's, that's, not, that's not me. That's not right. That's not, that's not who I am or how I think. And yet I had gotten to this place where I began to experience the very things that I had been warned against in all that church planning process. And what I'm going to talk about today, what we're going to look at today, is the, when I've practiced it, is the thing that's kept me out of that place. And when I stopped practicing it is the thing that allowed me to drift into that place. And in the six months since that period of time that I've been practicing what we're going to talk about today, God has brought me out of it. And so what we're going to talk about today is hugely important. We've been looking at this series called Christmas Blessing. Uh, the BLESS is an acronym. Each letter of, of BLESS stands for something. So just to kind of review in case you are newer with us, the, the B stands for BLESS, that we bless God, we praise God, and then we try to do good. We try to be a blessing to other people. The L stood for listen. 
that we want to listen to God, that, that there's a lot of things we could do, but we really need to hear God's voice. We want to listen to God, and then we want to listen to other people. That's one of the best ways to love them. We looked at eating, and, and that we feast on God's word, and that God gave us a tangible way to remember him by eating the, the bread and the cup of communion. We, we eat and we drink. And then one of the best ways we can build relationships and community and live on mission with God is by eating, that that was one of the main strategies Jesus had. We, I, I love that week because everyone felt like they could apply it, right? Everyone just went to lunch and was like, we, yeah, we did it. So that was a huge win. And then last week, we looked at the idea of speaking. Warren Stewart was here, and he helped us see the idea that we're supposed to speak to God in prayer, express our, our hearts to him, and then speak boldly about Christ to other people. Well, today, we're going to conclude it by looking at the idea of Sabbath. Sabbath. We'll unpack what this means, but, but if you're at all on the edge in your life. You, you really need this today. And some of you are. I know, I know you're there. You're there relationally. Some of you are just in this place where relationships are fragile and they are frail, and you're on the edge. Some of you are in that place in your marriage where it's been like, you know what, let's, let's just get through the holidays, and then we'll figure out whatever's next. Some of you are in that place physically. You're just physically on the edge. You are exhausted. You are beat down. You know you have a doctor's appointment coming either voluntarily or involuntarily. It's coming, and you're on the edge. Some of you have already started to medicate the, the symptoms of this pain you're feeling. You're beginning to feel a kind of emotional emptiness, and you've started to medicate it with alcohol or with drugs prescription drugs or illegal drugs. You've tried to medicate it with TV or with food or with internet. And you, you just sense you're on the edge. Listen, I'm a, I'm a parent of young kids, and there's enough parents of young kids in here. If you're a parent of young kids, you're on the edge, right? Like, you just live there, right? Moms, do I hear an amen? I mean, this is where you are, right? And so, and so you, need, you need what we're going to hear today from God's word. This, this may be the lifeline practically speaking, that helps pull you out of, your, of destroying yourself. I know it was for me. So we're going to look at this idea of Sabbath. Uh, the, the word Sabbath means uh, rest or it means end. It, it really kind of has the idea of the end of the week. Uh, the uh, Jews practiced the Sabbath on Saturday. It would mark the end of their week, a day of rest. And so we're going to look at that, uh, that idea here today. We're going to kind of look at it under three headings. So the Sabbath in the Old Testament, the Sabbath in the New Testament, and the Sabbath in our world today. All right? So, so let's, let's begin. You can actually keep your, keep your finger in Exodus 20. We've got a bunch of passages today. Normally we kind of just pick one passage and work through it. Uh, but today we've got a lot of different verses we're going to pull in. And rather than you flipping to all of them, and trying to keep up, we'll just put those uh, verses on the screen for you to follow along with that today, all right? So the first passage we want to look at as we consider the Sabbath in the Old Testament is from the very uh, beginning. It's the book of Genesis chapter 2. It's the first place where we get the idea of Sabbath. Genesis 2, in verse 1, it says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So the first instance of us seeing the idea of Sabbath is God practicing the Sabbath. God works, creates all things, 
and then rests. Now, now here's what's fascinating about this, is unlike us, God never gets tired. So God wasn't like, whew, all that creating really you know, wore me out. I need a break. No, 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 not at all. Right? The scripture says in Psalm 121, one of my favorite passages, it says that the God of Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. And, and, and think about it. God could have created us to not need sleep. But he created us to need sleep as a way to be dependent on him. But God doesn't need sleep. God doesn't need rest. God doesn't have these moments like we do, you know, where you kind of stumble in and kick off your shoes and your jacket and there's just a trail of all your stuff behind you, right, before you just collapse on the couch. You ever have a moment like that? When you're like, every day. <laughs> right? God, God's never felt that. And I love praying to a God who never gets tired. Right? It's never like, you know, you're praying and God's like, what, what, what? Oh, yeah, 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 I got, no. I mean, that never happens. God's never asleep at the wheel. God never forgot about you. God's always, even before you get up, God's already working. And yet, despite that, God rests. As a model, as a pattern of saying, you're made in my image, rest. That's the first place we see it is Genesis 2. Another place that we're going to look at it here is is what we read a moment ago in Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. Now, uh, the context here is really, really important. So the context of this, this is Exodus 20. This is uh, the Ten Commandments. And and you have to think about what's happening here. Moses has written the book of Exodus uh, chronicling, and he's written it to the people of Israel who before this moment were in slavery in Egypt. They'd been there for three, four hundred years, enslaved in Egypt. They, they were, had no rights, had no rest, had no opportunity for advancement or employment. They were slaves. And they, they had no days off. They had no opportunity to take a break. They had no breather. In fact, uh, Pharaoh and the slave masters just made it harder and harder and harder and harder. If you read the story of the Exodus, when Moses shows up and he begins to gain a little traction, uh, the, the, the Pharaoh actually makes it harder on the slaves and says, you know what, we need the same amount of bricks but no straw. We, need, we, have, we gotta rank up, we gotta ratchet up these quotas. And they just work, 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 work. And then they're rescued out of that. They experience salvation out of that because of the blood of the Passover lamb. And and now they're headed into a new land, a land of milk and honey and rest, a land of God's blessing. And along the way, God gives them instructions. God gives them commands. God gives them his law and his Ten Commandments. And you got to get this about God's law. God's law follows his deliverance. Right? It's not, if you obey these things, then I'll rescue you out of slavery. No, you're rescued out of slavery. You're headed toward a good life. Here's what a good life is. And God's law, rightly understood, is always the heart of a father saying, I love you. Here's the best way to live. And in the midst of that, there's amazing grace found in this fourth commandment. In verse 8, it says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Now, now, this is huge. There's a a small point I want to make here just for a second. In verse 9, it says, six days you shall labor and do all your work. So the command of the Sabbath includes both a command to work and a command to rest. 
And so there are some people who live in perpetual Sabbath. They live in perpetual rest. And they don't work. They don't work hard. And I'm not talking about people who are trying to find work and are trying to you get employed and doing all. I mean, that, that's one of the hardest jobs you can have is trying to find work. I'm talking about people that even if they have a job, they don't work. It's like life is rest. Life is hanging out. Life is chilling. This is one of the major challenges I see in kind of our young generation, especially of men. Just this prolonged adolescence, this just boys who shave kind of thing. That, that, that there's not a sense of, I got to work. I got to, you know, get after this, right? So we could do a whole different message on that. But, but that's interesting to go, six, six days you work. Commands, it includes a command to work. But, but think about the grace of this. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Now think about this. These were to slaves who never got a day off. Would they have heard this as, oh, I don't know if I want to keep that. No. Like, you, you're kidding me. This is amazing. I have a friend who uh, right now works for UPS. And this is a brutal time of year. I don't know if you've figured out to work for UPS, right? And he works at one of the malls in Scottsdale. And so I, I talked to him after uh, Cyber Monday. And I, and I said, how, uh, you know, how'd it go today? He said, well, I had to deliver about 900 packages. I said, what's average? Like, what's typical? He said, oh, about 180. Right? I mean, whoa, right? And so they hire, UPS hires all these temporary workers to sort of help them. So he has someone in the in the, um, in the truck with them, but these people just flame out like crazy because they're like bricks without straw. I'm not interested, right? After like three days, they, they want to quit, right? And so, so my buddy's bribing them with lunch and, you know, giving them stuff and just doing whatever he can to try to keep them there because it's such hard work, right? And, and, and I, I just picture something like that and go, would he like a day off? Yeah. If, if you work in a retail environment, or maybe you've started your own business, or maybe you're a mom and it's just like, on my days off, I'm still a mom, right? Like, you would be like, oh, I would just so love a day of rest. And that's how these people felt. They didn't experience this as a heavy burden to keep. It was like, now they, they made it into that, but the people who first heard this would have gone, wow, rest. Not only were they to not do any work, but they weren't to have those under them work either. Notice it says that you, your son, your daughter, your male servant, right? You can't go, hey, kids, plow the back 40, right? Your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, the sojourner who's within you. Listen, listen, Israelites, God's saying, you're not going to treat people the way you were just treated as a slave. Where the master takes a break, but but they all have to keep working. No, this is a break. This is a rest for everyone. It's an amazing thing. It's a huge blessing for these people who had been enslaved. That's the context of understanding this command. It's rooted in creation. It's rooted in who God is. And God is a good father, gives good gifts to his children. And one of these gifts is the Sabbath. Let's fast forward then to the New Testament. To the New Testament. Because it has some things to say related to the Sabbath. Um, Jesus in Matthew 17 says this. This is sort of a, a general principle that really relates uh, to all of his law, but specifically we can apply it to this. In Matthew five seventeen, Jesus says this. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So sometimes you'll hear Christians say things like, well, the Old Testament law, you know, Jesus got rid of that. 
That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, I didn't get rid of it, I fulfilled it. I came to fulfill it. I came to accomplish it. And so Jesus accomplishes the Sabbath. You see in his life, as you follow him, Jesus keeps the Sabbath. He does good on the Sabbath. He, he brings healing and restoration and rest to people on the Sabbath. Now, he doesn't follow all the man-made rules that all the religious leaders had added to it, right? There's just an amazing number of ridiculous things that these teachers and, and leaders would add to it, right? Like they would say, okay, the command of the Sabbath is you can't do any work. Well, if you plow a field, that's work. Well, if you spit and it kind of kicks up some dirt and it forms into mud, your spit, that's plowing. So you better not spit on the Sabbath. Sorry, baseball players. I mean, that's ridiculous, right? We, we were in Israel a number of years ago, and there's something you experience at, at the hotel on the Sabbath, right? The Sabbath starts Friday night and it, at sundown and it ends Saturday at sundown. And in between, there's always most of the elevators, but there's always one exception. But, but most of the elevators are what they call Shabbat elevators. You know what happens on a Shabbat elevator? It's programmed to automatically stop at every floor. You know why? Can't work on the Sabbath. And if you press a button, that's a spark. And that spark would be like starting fire. And that would be work. All right, and I know, I mean, it is hard to, you're like, oh, oh I got it, right? How, what hard work, right? But you can't, you can't, now they, they have another one for the Gentiles to just, you know, hit all the buttons we want, you know? <laughs> But for, but for the, the, you know, the Jewish people there, they're going, we're going to ride the Shabbat elevator and stop at every floor along the way. And, and the first time you experience it, when you don't know what this is, it's the most, you're like, you're in an elevator by yourself trying to go down, and you're like, what is happening? Why are we stopping at every floor? It's just miserable. But that's what happens when you sort of add to all these things, right? And, and Jesus, he didn't, he didn't worry about all the man-made stuff added, but he fulfilled the heart of the Sabbath. He did good on the Sabbath. He rested on the Sabbath. He spent time with his father on the Sabbath. He fulfilled it. And not only did he fulfill it that way, but, but he fulfilled all the work that's necessary to have righteousness with God. We need to have perfection before God. In this same sermon where he talks in Matthew 5 about you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Well, none of us are, but Jesus is. Jesus fully obeyed. Jesus fully did everything his father commanded. He fulfilled the law. Therefore, we don't have to work anymore to, to, to know God or to, to impress God. We, Jesus did it. It's, it's done. He did the work. We can rest in his grace. Here's another thing Jesus said about the Sabbath. In Mark 2, Jesus said to his disciples, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. You hear what he's saying? The Sabbath was made for man. It's a gift for man. It wasn't that man was made to try to live under this law of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a gift, not a God. And like so many things, we can turn good things that are gifts of God into God things that are ultimate things that, that we begin to serve as though we're slaves to it. Right? The family can become this way. God's, God's given family is a, is a wonderful gift, and you can worship it and idolize it. God's given work as a wonderful gift, and you can worship and idolize it. You can live under its tyranny, as if work is the Lord of your life instead of God. Same thing with the Sabbath. 
Same thing with any of these commands. Jesus has fulfilled them on your behalf. And they're now here for you, not because you have to do them to earn God's favor, but because God's a good Father who says, this is the best way to live. The Sabbath is made for you. It's a gift for you. It's a blessing for you, Jesus says. But then we get to the rest of the New Testament. And the New Testament writers... Uh, especially Paul and and Peter and and some of these other uh, men who were now leading churches that were made of Gentiles and Jews, Jews and non-Jews, and and we're trying to figure out how do we bring reconciliation and unity to these churches, right? So as we read in in Paul's letter to the Romans, he's writing both to Jews and to Gentiles, and he's saying we got to be united in Christ. What does that look like? And some people would say, well, we got to keep the Sabbath, and the Gentiles are like, we're not keeping the Sabbath. We don't know any of that stuff. What are you talking about? And, and so Paul comes in, and he, he, he gets to the heart of it, which the heart of it is that Jesus has fulfilled the Sabbath. Jesus has fulfilled all the law for you. Trust him. And now live in love with one another. And so he begins to write, and he writes some things related to this question of Sabbath. Uh, Romans 14.5 says this. One person esteems one day as better than another. While another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Says, you want to keep the Sabbath? Great. You don't want to keep the Sabbath? Great. Be fully convinced in your own mind. Don't let legalistic people or other people go, hey, here's what you got to do. Here's how you got to live. Go, no, no. I'm, I'm trusting God. I want to live for him, and I'm convinced in my own mind. I want to keep it. I don't want to keep it. Fine. Colossians 2, 16 and 17 says this. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Paul says, don't let this, this isn't the basis of your righteousness. The basis of your righteousness is Jesus and his finished work. So don't, don't, don't let other people get you down when they judge you for that stuff. He says, these are, the sh- are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So the Sabbath principle is pointing ahead to Jesus, that our rest is found in Christ. And so here's what you see when you kind of put all this together, is you see a good God giving a good gift to his children of Sabbath. This idea of Sabbath has never been intended as something that would earn you your way to heaven, but as a way to trust God. And so it's not a a command that you must obey or you go to hell. It's 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 an issue of wisdom. It's moved from biblical law to biblical wisdom in in Paul's writing here. It's it's interesting as well. It's only one of the Ten Commandments that's not repeated in the New Testament. All the other ones are repeated again. So some of you will go, awesome, we don't have to obey it. We don't have to keep the Sabbath. Perfect. And it's like, why wouldn't you want to? God made you. God knows you're weak. God's made you in his image to rest. Why wouldn't you want to rest? But ultimately, where we need to find our rest is in Christ himself. Jesus said this in Matthew 11. He said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Do you hear how good news that is? Come to me. You're weary. You're worn out. You're on the edge. You're close to burning out. Your your shock absorbers are frayed. Come to me, and I will give you rest, he says. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest 
for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How can Jesus say that his yoke is easy? How can Jesus say that it's so restful to follow him when so many Christians are just running ragged? So many Christians are out of gas. So many Christians are burnt out. You know why so many Christians are running ragged? Trying to do all these things to please God? Because they, they don't understand the gospel. And they get that, yeah, I'm saved from my sin, but they functionally still act like, I've got to perform, I've got to keep up, or then God will be upset with me. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 come to me. I fulfilled the law. I did it. Trust me. I am the ultimate fulfillment of the Sabbath. Your true Sabbath rest will be found in me, is what Jesus is saying. Stop performing. Do you know how exhausting it is to perform? To have to keep performing? I have a friend who was in uh, professional baseball for about a decade. And he would talk about this unbearable pressure. And I'd be like, dude, it's a game. How can it be that much pressure? And you go, well, yeah, but my job performance every day is in the newspaper. And if I don't perform well, I might lose my job, and there's a hundred guys ready to replace me in about 10 seconds. And people are paying millions of dollars in sponsorships and in ticket sales and in TV rights and all these things, and I, we've got to perform. I was talking to a teacher after the first service who said, do you know how much pressure it is to know that our, our, all our test scores are going to be put in the newspaper and people are going to pick schools based on that. And I mean, to, to live under that kind of pressure is exhausting. And, and so many Christians have this feeling of, I got I to gotta do it. I got to live right. I got to be okay. He sees me when I'm sleeping. He knows when I'm awake. He knows if I've been bad or good. I got to be good for goodness sake. Do you see how quick? I mean, it's just crazy how quickly we, we go there. And Jesus is saying, I did it. Rest. So if you want to obey the Sabbath at its, at its deepest level, trust Christ. Trust Him. Rest in Him. Wake up thrilled every day that the wrath of God has been satisfied through His death and resurrection. No more striving. Nothing to prove. The first verse we're going to look at when we get back to Romans 8 is there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's incredible news. It's the ultimate Sabbath. So we've looked at the Old Testament. we looked at the New Testament. Let's talk then a little bit practically about the Sabbath in our lives, the Sabbath today. At this point, you might be going, well, what, what would this look like? What would the Sabbath look like? And so I want to just kind of give you a, a simple way to think about this. This is how uh, Molly and I and our family, this is how we've tried to look at this principle of the Sabbath, is that the Sabbath is a 24-hour period to rest, play, and pray. 24-hour period to rest, play, and pray. Now, you go, well, does it have to be start on Friday night, or does it have to be Saturday, or, well, Sunday, because the, the Lord resurrected on Sunday, and that's when the church meets now on Sunday. It's, it, who cares? Right? Because this is, not, this is not the law that you have to follow to the nth degree, or you're cast out of heaven. Right? This is a principle that God's given you for your good. Right? So a 24-hour period, you pick it. Maybe you start, you know, a lot of times for us, we'll kind of start on Friday night, and we'll go, we're going to do a date night on Friday night, and then Saturday is going to be our Sabbath. That's often what we do, but it's not that way necessarily every week. But it's a 24-hour period to rest, 
to play and to pray. You need time to rest, time to take a nap, time to fall asleep watching TV. That's good for you. You need that. Time to sit out outside and read a book and doze off. You just need to rest. Your, your body needs it. You need to play. Right? We, we need ways to, to release energy, to release pressure. Right? All of our lives, there's, there's pressure. And you need pressure re- releasing valves. Right? If you don't have healthy ones, you will release the pressure in unhealthy ways. So turn the Sabbath into a, into a day to play, right? There are a bunch of guys in our church and even some women that get together Saturday morning and they play ultimate Frisbee Saturday morning, blow off steam. Maybe you lift weights, maybe you work out, maybe you go for a run. Maybe for you, doing yard work is, is something that would really help or fixing computers. Maybe that would be something that you just enjoy to do. It's not work, it's not pressure, just, it's a hobby, it's something you like. Maybe it's college football. That's a good one, I think. <laughs> Whatever it is, just to, just to play, and then time to pray. Maybe you have a Bible reading plan that you're trying to do, but you fell a little behind. Take some extra time to read it. Maybe go on a walk and look at all the different things in creation and give God praise for it. Maybe go on a hike and talk to the Lord about how good and faithful he's been to you. I don't know, but 24 hours to rest, play, and pray. Now listen, this takes work, especially initially to do well. Right? You might have to do more work on the other six days to get all this stuff done so you don't have to worry about it on that other day. Right? So, so I told Molly, I said, listen, uh, Friday afternoon, I will do whatever you want around our house so that it will help you on Saturday to not have to worry about it. That's more work for me. But I want her as a mom who is always on to actually be able to rest and not have to worry about the house and worry about this or that. So it might take some effort. If you're going to do date nights, you're going to have to arrange babysitting. You're going to have to figure out what you're going to do. If you're going to, I mean, if if you decide to do this and you go, we're just doing nothing. I'm telling you, at about minute 94, you're like, this is awful. What was he talking about, right? I mean, you need, you need a little bit of a plan. So it takes a little bit of work on the front end if you're going to enjoy it on the back end. But you need this. Again, not to be righteous, but to be healthy, to be sane, to flourish the way God made you to flourish. We need this in our culture, don't we? I mean, our culture right now is just, it's always on. It's always on. There's always more information. There's always more things to do. There's, it just, I just get amazed when I think about technology in particular and how it relates to this, right? The idea of mobile technology, the idea of, of advanced technology was, this is so funny when you think about it. The idea was, you'll get your work done faster, so you'll work less. <laughs> think about how they sold that to us that way, right? Did we buy that? We did. And instead, what's happened? We get it done faster, and we can carry it with us all the time, and we do more. See, I think many people don't, re- right, we have kind of a five and two system in our culture, right? You got the week, work week, and then you got the weekend. But most people don't really work five days and don't really rest too. We're just kind of always on somewhere. And our culture desperately needs this. I think one of the biggest manifestations of this relates to phone 
and technology. And so here's a couple of just uh, things that I saw that are, are pretty interesting. 58% of people, in case you can't read that, 58% of smartphone owners say they don't go one hour without checking their phone. And that's what you call always on, right? You're stressed. 73%, this is the next one, uh, when asked, how would you feel if you lost your phone? 73% panicked. 14% desperate, 7% sick, 6% relieved, right? Like, you look at that and you go, there's a problem here. Something's broken with this, right? Where do people check their phones? 54% in bed, 39% on the toilet, 30% at meals. In another survey, about 20% of people said they checked their phone during every meal, I was at In-N-Out the other day on our date night, and uh, we were next to this table of, of four teenagers who were all together on their phones. And I see it with adults, right? I mean, I, I, go, out to, I go out to a date, daddy-daughter date with my five-year-old. Listen, there's not much a five-year-old has to talk about. And after about eight minutes, you're like, <laughs> I mean, you're really tempted. And it's, I mean, that's just, that's just reality. That's how it is. Our culture needs this. It's killing us. See, a, a few of you, like the three of you that don't have a phone, you're like, see, told you. Like, you feel really good today. Like, this is your, like, this is your day to shine. You, told, you proved everybody wrong. Um, you know, Josh Watt, who leads our student ministry, we were talking about this message and kind of what would be some ways we could apply this. He goes, you know what you could do is you could challenge everybody in the service to turn off their phone and to leave it off all night until the next day. And I was like, that's a dumb idea. <laughs> but, but I thought about that. I thought about that like seriously and went, but I have fantasy football scores to check. And what if an important email comes? And, and, and here's the deal. I'm not, I'm not telling you you have to do that. But if there's something in you that feels panicked at the thought of doing that, if, you're, if your spouse is elbowing you right now and saying, that's a good idea, then you need to do that. And, I, and again, I, this is not in any way turned into a technology rant. It's not about that. But technology is a symptom of a deeper thing that we're always on. There's always more to do. There's always more to see. There's always more to know. God didn't make us that way. It's hurting us. Our culture needs the Sabbath. Our children need the Sabbath. I joked about my time out with Caitlin, but 35% of parents say that they almost always use their phone while playing with their kids. Our kids need us to listen. They need us to be present. They need us to tickle them and wrestle them and play hide-and-seek with them and do what they want to do. And some of you are like, that doesn't sound restful. No, but it is to them. Kids have way too much homework. It's just crazy when you think about all the, I mean, and maybe your kid is on the path towards something amazing. Probably not. <laughs> right? I mean, they're going to be average like everyone else. And they, they go to school all day long, and then three, four hours worth of homework. And I get it. I mean, if the kid just put it off and put it off and put it off, now that it's just come, you know, fine. But it's like, if that's the normal thing, I mean... They need a break. They need to rest. I have one friend. He went to his teachers. He said, listen, my kids will do an hour of homework a night, 
And after that, they're done. I don't care if they get all C's. We have a life. Now, I'm not telling you that's what you have to do. I'm not saying that's even right. But I just admired someone that had the courage to do that. To go, there's more to life than this. There's more to life than work. There's more to life than school. We're going to rest. We're going to be a family. Right? This Sabbath principle, you could look at it weekly. You could also look at it daily. Maybe you're in a situation or a stretch or a season right now where you just can't get off for a day. Maybe you need to go, here's my Sabbath hour. and I'm going to rest. Maybe you need a vacation during the year, whatever it is. Our bodies need the Sabbath. See, you will keep the Sabbath. And it will happen either voluntarily or involuntarily. If you push and push and push and push and push, rest is coming. And this is what I experienced earlier this year, right? I pushed and pushed and pushed and went and went and went. Didn't Sabbath, didn't rest, didn't manage my energy, didn't manage my health. And I was out for a week and a half, sitting in my chair, resting. You will rest. Your body needs it. Your body needs sleep. Some of us are like, I need to get stuff done. No, yeah, you do, but you need sleep too. God created you to need that. We're physical beings. Matters. Finally, our souls need the Sabbath. Our souls need it. So I compare the Sabbath a lot to a tithe. Uh, the p- spiritual principle of tithing is that you live on 90% of your income and you give a tithe, a tenth, you give to the Lord. Essentially, in in a tithe, what you're saying is, God, I trust that you can do more with my 90% than I could do with 100%. That's why tithing, that's why giving, and it's it's an act of faith. It's an act of trust in God, and God comes through. I was talking with some friends the other day, and they said, we took that tithe challenge you talked about earlier this year, and I don't know how we've made ends meet, but we've had at least five times where anonymous people, just money has showed up. We're not making a lot, and we're not asking people for it. It's just showing up because we're trusting God that God can do more with our 90 than we could do with 100, and God provides. I think, I think the Sabbath's the same thing. Saying, God, I trust that you could do more with my six days of work than I could do with my seven. It's trust. It's faith. Do you have to keep the Sabbath? No. But why wouldn't you want to? So I just want to encourage you. And again, this may take some work. You know, between now and Christmas may not be the time to, you know, be able to check out on everybody. You know, you may want to decide as a family whether you're going to do this. Um, but, but if you build this into the rhythm of your life, into the pattern of your life, you will experience the blessing of it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the rest that we find in Jesus. Thank you that we don't have to strive. Thank you that we don't have to perform. We don't have to achieve that Jesus has done it all. He's paid it all for us. And we live in that rest. And so God, more than anything, would you help us to rest in the finished work of Christ? Would you also then give us enough trust in you to really spend a day resting and playing and praying and enjoying you and being strengthened, acknowledging our weakness and acknowledging that your power is perfected in that weakness? God, give us that ability. Help us to flourish in this coming year because of it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Listen, we're going to respond now by, by in a tangible way, celebrating that, that we're taking Jesus in, that he is our rest. 
And so we're going to, in a few moments, the band will come and, and the ushers will come and they'll pass out the communion elements. And the communion is bread representing Jesus' body and cup representing Jesus' blood. And we're going to pass those around and we would invite those of you who are followers of Christ to take those elements and to hold them and to pray. And then when your heart's ready, to, to eat and to drink. And we do this not because there's anything magical about the elements, right? There's nothing... Uh, about the bread or about the, the juice that it doesn't transform into anything. It's not a magical deal. It's, it's representative of an unbelievable truth. And so as you take these things into you, you're saying, I, I, I take what Jesus has done on my behalf and I, I, I'm going to enjoy it. There's a sweetness in that juice to, to remind you of the sweetness of resting in Christ. If you're a follower of Christ, we'd love you to celebrate that. If, if you're here and, and you're not yet a follower of Christ, here's what you need to know. Communion, uh, if you take communion, it would be the same as if you publicly said, I'm, a, I'm trusting in Christ. I follow him. And if you're not ready to do that, we're, we're okay with that. Uh, we, we understand that. And we hope you'll keep coming back. We'd love to have an opportunity to talk and to help you understand who Christ is and to come alongside and to care for you. But, but for now, if you're not in a place where you could say, Jesus is my